Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Courtney, how are you? Good. Just drinking my coffee, enjoying uh, an OTA-free morning. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So yesterday we had a chance to go out there on a very uh, warm day and see the Vikings practice kind of where we were standing, (laughs) did not have the best angle for watching all of practice. But our first look at the 2018 roster actually practicing 11 on 11 together on a field and it kind of kicks off the official beginning of the 2018 season, but there was one player very notable who was not present, and that was Anthony Barr. What do you make of Anthony Barr? Not No injury, just deciding to sit out OTAs. Well, first off, I want to say that I pulled a veteran move at OTAs because I figured since rookie camp we weren't able to see all that great, and they haven't really figured out which sideline to put us on. I brought binoculars, so I suggest that you do the same next week because I was able to vastly improved my sight line of trying to figure out which starting five was in front of Kirk Cousins. It's way easier for me to just go, hey, who's that? To you. Exactly. Um, But no, as far as Barr, we can speculate all we want that it's a contract situation. He's entering a contract year. He, you know, very well may be the next behind Eric Kendricks to get an extension ahead of the 2018 season, but we don't know that for sure. Mike Zimmer would not uh, speculate um, on what exactly they talked about. He said he was going to keep that close to the vest, but Barr was at the camp. I was over at um, Zimmer's youth camp last Saturday, and Barr was there uh, supporting his head coach along with Harrison Smith and Eric Kendricks, um, and he apparently told Mike Zimmer that he wasn't coming to OTAs uh, during the, I guess the two of them talked on Tuesday of this week. So make of it what you want. This could very well be, I mean, I don't see any other reason other than the contract situation as to why this is happening right now. Um, You know, as far as a level of concern, I'm not all that concerned about it. Uh, Just just to be frank with you, I don't think that, you know, this is one of Zimmer's guys. He he said, I remember I asked him at the combine about the, you know, the what is it? uh, Put your fist on the stand on the table for your guys. Who are the guys that you did that with in the draft? He named a few. 
Anthony Barr has always been that guy for him. Um, and I think that he is going to continue to, to levy um, and push for him to get that next contract extension. So I don't think that this will be a long-term issue. And I really didn't make all that much of it yesterday because, you know, it was the only absence. And I'm not really expecting a very long holdout. But, it, you know, should he not be there for the mandatory minicamp where you get fined over $80,000 for missing it? I mean, that could potentially, you know, the contract thing could become more explosive at that point if something doesn't get done before then. It makes so much sense for a player in his situation to not go to OTAs considering that you don't get fined for not showing up. And it's a guy who's been in Mike Zimmer's defense for how long now? I mean, his entire career. And they've been fifth, sixth, and first in defense the last three years in scoring against, and Barr has been a big part of that. It's not like it's going to take him a really long time to sharpen up on Mike Zimmer's defense when he comes back, so there isn't a whole lot of plus side to doing that. Now with Stefan Diggs, for example, who also will need a contract eventually, I mean, that's a guy that's going to have a new offensive coordinator. He's going to have a new quarterback, and it makes a lot of sense for him to be there for those things to, to get on the same page with Kirk cousins, to learn the offense from John D Filippo and so forth. But for Anthony Barr and you know, Daniel Hunter was there, which is interesting that Hunter did not decide to do that. This makes me think that Anthony Barr is closer to a contract extension than Daniel Hunter. Maybe that's reading too much into it, but I've got to think if you're Barr and we're getting close to signing on that dotted line, you're going to be like the last thing in the entire world I'm going to do, especially on a team where Teddy Bridgewater's career was completely derailed and a non-contact injury in practice. The last thing I'm going to do five days before I sign a contract extension is go out there on the field and put myself in any risk. So I would say Anthony Barr is making the right decision, but do you read it the same way that this means that we are very close to a Barr decision or does this read to you more like a power move from him? I guess I could see it both ways, but I've always, and we've talked about this, the way that I've predicted the extensions to go, um, I thought Barr Kendricks would have been first. It was going to be one of the linebackers. And then from there, um, I figured it'd be Barr and then getting the next extension and then making, you know, going the rest of the way on the rookie deals for Daniil Hunter um, and, and Stefan Diggs and being, you know, with with Hunter, that's what I've always said about franchise tagging him, that they're probably going to be in the same situation as, as the Cowboys were with Demarcus Lawrence. It's just the way when financials, when you're strapped for financials and you you have this guy that you, that you really think highly of, you're probably going to have to place the tag on him. And then, you know, he's going to be able to make a ton of money the next year, whether it's with the Vikings or elsewhere. And then with Diggs, let him play out the rest of his rookie deal and see just how well he connects with, uh, Kirk Cousins, and you know if he can elevate Cousins' game the way Cousins can elevate him, and kind of that vice versa, um, you know he could be making the next Jarvis Landry type deal. Is it smart? Maybe not. Like, should you should you lock him up right now before he has another big season and you know is able to test the market and go elsewhere? Maybe, but I still think that Barr is the next in line for this contract extension, which is why I see this kind of as more of a, as he said, a cautionary thing of not getting injured. And, you know, he's still here in the Twin Cities, from what I've heard, working out and, you know, placing a priority on, you know, getting himself ready for the 2018 season, 
I mean, he's around. Like, I don't think this is going to become like, a, you know, an Aaron Donald type situation where, you know, he's not here for training camp, et cetera, et cetera. I figure, like, just like we saw last year with Rhodes, Griffin, and Linville Joseph, that this deal will get done before training camp. I mean, if he misses mandatory mini camp, I still don't think it's that big of a deal. Does it heat things up? Yes. But I still think this is a deal that's going to get done before the end of July. So back to your point about Daniil Hunter. If I'm Hunter, there's no way I'm signing a contract extension now because on the open market, if you're a pass rusher, even oh with my God, yeah, even with what he's done so far, I mean, I, I've seen the the guy from Over the Cap, uh, Jason, on Twitter, be asked this, and he was saying a good year for Daniil Hunter could net him eighteen million dollars a year. And, well, and that's, that's 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 crazy money that the the Vikings could not give him right now on a contract extension. The tag next year for him would be about eighteen million dollars, and then you then you factor in what that would be after the twenty nineteen season. He could be making a ton of money, um, and, and have his chance to to break the bank. So I think it's probably the wisest decision, you know, on his part to you know to not be worried about a contract extension right now and. You know, see what plays out this season. See what plays out if the Vikings do indeed tag him uh, ahead of next year in the offseason. Because he could be making, you know, elite-level defensive end money because pass rushers, are, as we know, are always at a premium in the NFL, elite ones, that is. What did you make of Stefan Diggs' comments saying that he loved being here, loved being a Minnesota Viking? Because I've heard that a million times. But with Diggs, you do get the sense that he – would like to sign a contract extension. I think, I, I think that he would love to sign it this off season and get his money, but it's going to have to be in that Jarvis Landry type of range because he's been one of the best wide receivers, not by just pure fantasy stats, but by the efficiency and throwing his way and the contested catches numbers, all the things like that, what he's meant to this offense. He has been a top notch wide receiver in the NFL. I imagine he wants to get paid that way. And that's going to be the conflict because the Vikings are going to want to get a deal. As in, if he went out and caught 90 passes this year, they would have to pay him through the roof. So they're going to want to get him under contract before that. And I'm sure he wants to get his money that's comparable to some of the better wide receivers in the NFL. Do you think that one gets done? I don't just because of the numbers game. And, you know, this is this is my take on it with the – the power structure within this team where they spent a lot of money on offense, a lot in the off season where there might be the push kind of, you know, Hey, like we did this for the offense. Let's get our defensive guys. What's the bread and butter of our team. It's the number one defense in the league. Let's get these guys locked in. Um, you know, be, get, let's get these contract extensions done first. I would not be surprised if Diggs is the odd man out because I think his deal is the trickiest one to do specifically because of the deal that Adam Thielen's under. And I've said this before, um, they, if they want to create any sort of level playing field in terms of, you know, roster discrepancy with the pay, um, how are you going to pay Diggs? You know, he's in a contract year. If that groin is hurting at any point, he's going to be playing through it. But how are you going to pay him more than your Pro Bowl wide receiver? And especially if Thielen has, you know, a comparable, if not bigger season than him. I mean, then then Thielen's agent's going to want to restructure his deal. And, you know, 
the numbers, they have about 17 and a half, 17.1 million in cap space right now after restructuring the Robeson deal. That's important. Um, but in order to make digs work, I mean, the numbers, the numbers ahead of next season for the cap get really tricky and they're really murky right now. And I still don't think we know just how they're going to work out that it makes his deal so much trickier to do. And, you know, I just think he might be as much as they love him and as vital as a part of this offense as he is, I think he's looking at a great opportunity for himself, whether it's in Minnesota or not, he's going to get paid either way, have a big year this year with Kirk cousins. Um, and if, if he's able to do that, he's going elsewhere and he's going to be making big time bucks to, you know, figure this out and, you know, get a chance to really, really break the bank next year. If you're him, it's a very tough call because betting on yourself in an offense that just brought in a much more reliable quarterback, considering what he did last year with a career backup journeyman quarterback, he should be logically looking at this saying, yeah, I can put up those even bigger numbers. If Kirk Cousins throws for 4,000 yards, I'm going to get a big chunk of that. And what's really good about Stefan Diggs from this standpoint is that he can do anything. I mean, he can line up outside. He can line up in the slot. He could be a yep. deep receiver. He could be a short receiver. And John Filippo can use him like a chess piece, and that gives him a great opportunity to have a huge year. But there is always that health concern. And, I mean, I think of this with Xavier Rhodes. Last year they locked up Xavier Rhodes to a long-term deal, and if Xavier Rhodes had hit the free agent market this year, can you imagine what he would have gotten as yeah. a shutdown corner who went up against basically yeah, the league's he, he, elites last year and shut them down? He he would have been getting insane money this offseason, and he decided to cash in before that. And I wonder if Diggs or Hunter decides to do that. I kind of have Diggs ahead of Hunter for doing that. Does that seem right? I think it's fair. I think that, I mean, I'm still just looking at pass rushers in this league because, you, yeah, there are a lot of elite wide receivers, the guys that we put into that category. I still think that the, you know, there's fewer pass rushers that you're willing to pay that kind of money to and, and lock in on those type of deals. But, you know, with, with Rhodes, correct me if I'm wrong here, when he signed that deal last year, was he at the time the highest paid corner in the league, or was 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 um, Matthew was the Honey Badger still? Because technically, I know that you obviously switched to safety and all that, but wasn't he? Didn't he? Or, remind me, was he the highest paid corner at the time? I don't think he was the highest paid. He put himself in that conversation, and, okay. but he I don't know top, if it top was number three one at least, right? Yeah. Like top three to top five. Okay, so it, but even then, you saw with the injuries that he had last year. I mean, just some nagging things. He was always missing time at the end of the season. Um, or towards that latter stretch after the uh, the bye week, but he still was incredibly effective. Shadowed ten, um, you know, directly shadowed ten of the you know top wide receivers in the game right now. Last year was immediately responsible for that. I can't imagine what kind of deal that he would have been in um, ha had they not made that made that a priority to lock him up so you see it in a similar way with Diggs. like hey like we're going to be looking at a guy who's going to be making you know that Jarvis Landry I wouldn't say Mike Evans type numbers yet but you know making that type of salary next year can we afford him I don't know if they can I and, don't yeah I don't know either because that I mean Landry what did he get five years 75 five years 75 wow. with uh with and before he even played a snap 
with the Browns. And if you crazy. look at the things that Diggs can do, not the just the numbers of catches. I think he's but... a better wide receiver than Jarvis Landry. Yeah, me too. I think decidedly better. And, you know, teams will sometimes go with catch numbers and stuff like that. But I also think they watch all the tape. They see the things that Diggs can do where Landry was more of a short wide receiver. Diggs has played outside. He's played inside. He's averaged over 13 yards a catch. He's caught a lot of touchdowns. I mean, 67%. A completion percentage, Case Keenum throwing his way last year, and a lot of those targets were deeper down the field. Uh, so that both of these will be a big thing to watch as we go forward, but I think you and I are on the same page that Anthony Barr sitting out probably means he's just waiting to get that deal done, uh, but we will see. And, for, and from a positional value standpoint, this is where it gets tough for me with Anthony Barr because – we know he doesn't that, rush the passer? Well, you're right. I mean, we know that Mike Zimmer loves him and stood on the table for him, and his first impression of him early on, 2014, 2015, was this guy's a complete game changer. But over the last two years, he's only periodically been that. He has not consistently been it. At the beginning of last year, I thought he was excellent. And then as the season went along and into the playoffs, it was very much just okay and when you look around the league, how many guys are making $10 million as linebackers? It's usually only the big-time game-changers like Luke Keekley who don't get sacks but are elite coverage, elite run-stoppers. And I don't see Barr as being any of those things. That makes it tough from his negotiating standpoint if he's asking for that Luke Keekley-type money. And if you saw what they – I mean, the five-year, $50 million extension that they gave to Eric Kendricks, there, he's going to be asking for more than that. Does he deserve more than that? I'm not really so sold on that notion. And it's not his fault that, you know, the scheme has changed. You're not seeing as much of the, you know, double-A gap blitz type stuff. He's not being sent in to rush the passer. I mean, that's not really his call, essentially. I mean, that's where Mike Zimmer is taking, you know, that's that's where the defense is going, in the direction. And I just don't understand, though, I mean – from a coaching perspective, why you're not asking Barr to do more um, when we know that he can. He was a really good pass rusher the first few years here. And then you saw those sack numbers dwindle. And, you know, in coverage, I think that he can just do so much more for you that why you're not tapping into that, um, I'm not really quite sure. I think that he'd be commanding a lot more if they were. And I, and I look around the league and see teams using more dime packages. And yeah. I wonder about Mike Zimmer's defense being in the nickel all the time if he's going to want to change some things and maybe take some snaps away. Eric Hendricks is the perfect modern linebacker who is not very big and sometimes gets washed out in the run game, but it really doesn't matter that much toward winning because he's so good at chasing down running backs out of the backfield. They were one of the best in the league last year against opposing running backs in the passing game. And Kendricks has a lot to do with that. So that's where I think it's going to get tricky. And maybe the two sides are going to butt heads if Barr wants more than Kendricks. But I look at Kendricks as being just as, or maybe even more valuable considering what you're trying to stop and how so many teams are going to short passing offenses that rely a lot on the, the, the running backs. Even look at the New Orleans Saints last year. Uh, mm -hmm. The shortest average depth of target was Drew Brees. He was throwing it the shortest down the field because he was throwing it to his running backs so often. And when you have guys who can shut those running backs down, they're very valuable. I'm not sure if that's bar necessarily the best thing he does, or if what he does there, you could replace that with someone else in free agency for much cheaper. 
Yeah, I've never been opposed to the idea of letting Anthony Barr walk. I mean, that's my personal opinion. That I think I do agree with you. Kendricks is the more valuable linebacker. We saw him in run coverage last year, and we saw how dynamic he can be, you know, stop eliminating and snuffing out the screen game. Um, but I just I just don't think that they're going to let – I don't think that the Vikings value the same way that, you know, I'm – projecting that right now just with you could find your replacement for Anthony Barr and probably find it for you know comparable if not a little cheaper than Eric Kendricks Kendricks had the better season let's be honest last year but Anthony Barr is the brand name he's the pro bowler his agent and and representation is going to fight for more money just based I think on a lot of the accolades um you know that that certainly helps his case um but we saw you know I think that Eric Kendricks really you know it was probably the easiest deal to do, which is why he got done first. Mm-hmm. But, and, you know, I think probably the smartest deal. Get him locked in. I mean, if you had to let Anthony Barr walk, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Do I think they're going to do that? No, I don't. I'm Yes, that's bottom line. I'm right with you. I don't think they're going to let him walk, but I think that they could and still be fine. Um, there are other things to get to with this, but uh, I want to move back to what we saw on the field at OTAs. So one of the biggest things we went in looking for is who's playing on the offensive line. And I would just wave a big giant caution flag to not draw any conclusions from this really. (laughs) But I will say what the first team offensive line was. It was Riley reef naturally at left tackle. Then Danny Isadora at left guard. You had Nick Easton at center at right guard was Tom Compton. And then at right tackle was Remmers. Now clearly Pat Elfline is not ready yet to come back from his injury. So that would have been Easton at left guard and Pat Elfline at center Compton at right guard uh, and and Remmers sticking at tackle. But Mike Mm -hmm. Zimmer was very clear in saying we might just try Remmers at guard next week. I mean, this is the time of year to experiment with some of these things and see how you like them. And that's why we shouldn't really say, oh, well, they were playing him at tackle, so he's going to stay there. I do think he does stay there just from, if I'm projecting this out in May, I know that we have some time, but I do think that it's probably where they need him to play because I don't think Brian O'Neill will be ready. And that's not any slight on O'Neill. That's just given the fact that, we talked about this. Look at the size differential right now between when 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 they were doing their their drills uh, early on, and he was it was him, Rashad Hill, and Mike Remmers, you know, you know the three right tackles. Um, the size differential between Remmers and and uh, O'Neal just just kind of baffling when you look at it just because <laughs> very noticeable. I, don't, I don't really know the other way to describe it Rashad Hill is in a different category because he's taller and he's a much bigger dude he's, uh, to he's begin thick. with he's very 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 thick, thick. <laughs> um, but you know I I take away from this that they are going to be trying everything they possibly can to find that right fit um, at right guard um, simply because you know, they have their solution at with at right tackle. It's very it's you know, very pointed that you can start Mike Remmers there, you know, he's been playing that position for them. And I think that's more of a necessity to have your guy on the outside than it is on the inside where, you know, they signed Tom Compton in the off season. We still don't know what they have in Danny Azadora. Um, you know, he played some he played some really good uh, reserve snaps last year, had to start that game in Cle- against Cleveland because of the injuries. Uh, that started, you know, three weeks before that in Chicago. Um, 
And to me, I take a look at the situation knowing that it is not going to be complete very easily until that, you know, we find out that fourth week of the preseason, you know, all right, what's this line starting to look like? What can we expect? Um, and really, you know, if, if you were thinking that they were going to bring anybody else, bring anybody in during the off season, you might be waiting to see which veterans maybe aren't a scheme fit in a new system. You might be waiting until August to figure this out. Uh, because it just doesn't seem like something they're going to have solved for quite some time. And the uh, Richie Incognito idea quickly <laughs> off the table. As fast yeah, as it was it's... on the table, it was right back off with uh, Richie Incognito getting in an altercation at a gym where he threw a dumbbell at a guy, and then uh, police took him into custody, I think. But he was being evaluated mentally. He's on, he's on, yeah, he's wasn't on a, he's... arrested necessarily. He's on a hold at a hospital, like a psych hold, which is, that's no joke. Like, I mean, that's, if he, if he was thinking of any sort of comeback this season, I think that it's probably off the table. Somebody who, you know, as we talked about two days ago on the podcast, why this might work. And, you know, one thing I think, you know, you got to take a look at what he said in the off season uh, about his kidneys shutting down, about his body shutting down. I don't know if you want somebody, whether he was truthful in that or not, or maybe trying to get out of his deal in Buffalo, whatever. Um, I don't think you want somebody like that around given, given the circumstances of, you know, stability in a team and in your locker room. And certainly now um, you just hope he gets the help that he needs. If he's throwing kettleballs at people at the gym and saying, stay off my playground. Yeah, and the guy that he threw it at, TMZ caught up with that guy, and he said that he didn't want to press charges or anything. He's that incognito just seemed like he wasn't okay. And you combine a guy who clearly had anger issues before with years and years in the NFL of potential brain trauma, and uh, you might yep. have a pretty bad situation there. So, um, but they certainly do need help at guard. It Whether doesn't it seem like it's going to be incognito. <laughs> That is a fair one. Um, I just, I don't know, you know, we, we, we don't really know anything about Tom Compton and Danny Isadora. And obviously, as you said, Nick Easton will eventually slide back over to left guard and Pat Elfline once he's, you know, he's slow playing the time back after his ankle surgery, which is, you know, totally fine and expected. Um, but that hole at right guard, I think it will still be the biggest question mark. Whether we see Mike Remmers move back inside, I know Zimmer said yesterday it's because they decided this week they want to play him at right tackle because uh, Rashad Hill was a little banged up. Um, I think you could get away with having Rashad Hill as your right tackle um, and, and moving Mike Remmers inside. But I think the safer bet is finding between a Tom Compton and a Danny Isadora who can start at right guard for now, or, you know, looking at the free looking at the market, you know, once, once some of the veteran guys, if they get cut because of a scheme fit, you don't, you certainly don't want to go tap into finding an offensive guard who, you know, is out of shape or an Alex Boone situation like it was last year, but maybe a Zane Beatles, for example, um, who played for the 49ers, who might not be a scheme fit in, um, in what they're going to run this year with Kyle Shanahan. And, you know, there's a few others around the league, but it's slim pickings, so you might be better off with what you have currently. Yeah, I, I could definitely see it going as Tom Compton, the veteran, wins that job and yeah. sort of plays the Joe Berger veteran guy that ends up fitting in. Or I could see Rashad Hill winning the starting right tackle job because it, it seems that they've really liked him even since he debuted in uh, week 17 of 2016. 
that he played well in that game and has done pretty well since then. I mean, he got eaten up in the playoffs by two of the best pass rushers in the league, but aside from that has been mostly solid. That would make a lot of sense to me to have everybody be experienced and you know what you're going to get. I don't know if you want Tom Compton to start. He doesn't have a great history. I mean, he's mostly a backup on a multitude of teams, not a guy that necessarily you want starting 16 games. Uh, But my takeaway was looking at Brian O'Neill. I know I didn't expect him to change and put on a ton of muscle in a couple weeks, but I I just don't think that there's a a very high chance that he's going to end up as your starting right tackle. I would be almost shocked if he was the starting right tackle, save for, you know, potential injuries that happen. Um, Speaking of rookies, Mike Hughes inside and outside yesterday, same goes for Mackenzie Alexander. It looks like that's your camp battle, Hughes versus Alexander in the slot. And that's what we expected because Terrence Newman was playing with the twos mostly yesterday. And I think that's the smart, that's the, that's the right call by the Vikings in bringing him back for his final season when he's going to play at 40 years old to have him in that reserve role, just because he can fill in so many spots. And even last year, they didn't really expect him to win the camp, to win the camp battle, to be playing nickel all season and have McKenzie kind of split I wouldn't even call it split time. I mean, he played about 30% of snaps in, in the nickel package um, at, you know, at slot corner, McKenzie that is. But now it's, you know, game on. If, if drafting Mike Hughes, whether they want to say it publicly or not, is an indictment on how they feel about McKenzie Alexander and what he brings to the table, then by all means, have your rookie compete for this job. If he can win it, then you have somebody who's ahead of, ahead of his time essentially, because that is a hard position to play. And it takes a lot to, you know, to win that type of job uh, and know how to play that job pretty seamlessly early on. I just wonder, and I mean, this is kind of a random thing, but it's like, okay, let's say he does win that job. Do you see his impact on special teams as big as being as big as it is? Or do you think that they're going to try to look elsewhere to not put too much on his plate? If he wins that starting job, find somebody else. I, yeah, I mean, that's, what, just, that's what I think. That's where Stacey Coley should come in. Stacey Coley or keep Marcus Sherrill's. Sherrill's last year wasn't as good as he had been the year before, but we know that he can get the job done as a punt returner. And, I mean, if it comes down to somebody with upside or Marcus Sherrill's, then maybe you have to keep that person. But, you know, I, I wouldn't want Mike Hughes as a starting corner back there that often. I also thought of something with Mike Hughes and Trey Wayans as we were talking about the potential contract situations, yeah. the, the fifth year option with Trey Wayans is pretty darn expensive. And I wonder about signing all these guys and either moving on from him. If Hughes is really good this year, like after this season or I mean, letting him go after he plays on his fifth year option. It just seems like someone has to be the odd man out. And that also could have played into why they drafted Mike Hughes. I agree with you that it was a lot also related to Mackenzie Alexander, um, but I think they view if he wins the nickel job that it's a bonus, and if he doesn't, that's okay because he can mix in on the outside and potentially eventually take over for Trey Wayans. That's kind of how I'm looking at that. And that's that's right. Like, I mean, at the end of this season we're going to look back and at this draft pick and be like and we're not going to be really looking at it as much I mean yeah we want to know how Mike Hughes does and if he performs well and how he plays but this draft pick 
the value of it and whether it was the right pick is going to be based on how the offensive line did this season. And if that was an issue, yeah. uh, cause they could have had a guard, but you know, at 30, but I look at this being, and you know, it's very telling for how they feel about Mackenzie Alexander and how they feel about their chances of, you know, can they afford to keep Trey Waynes beyond the, you know, he's here through the 2019 season. We get that, but can you keep, they keep him beyond that if they can't, you still have, you know, you still have a number of scenarios here because let's let's take Waynes and Newman for the sake of the uh, the argument because Newman won't be playing and you know let's say Waynes is gone, so then you have an opening at your starting your starting right corner, um, sorry left left corner. I'm trying to hold on. I'm picturing the field. They right? move around. They move around. But yeah, you start you have a starting outside corner position and you have your nickel position. Let's say that Mackenzie Alexander, they still want to keep him around. You can move Mackenzie back outside. That's yeah. where his nap, that's where he played really well in college. Um, and they moved him kind of prematurely into the slot, thinking that he'd be able to take over the job from Captain Munnerlin, which was too premature because he barely played his rookie year. Um, you can move him outside and you could then have Mike Hughes ready to go playing at your nickel spot. So, I mean, it might work out in the long run that that's what ends up happening or vice versa if McKenzie honestly is good enough to play nickel maybe you know maybe they have that position set and then they can work Mike Hughes back outside I think I think it's kind of a win-win when it you know if it works out the way I'm thinking it could it's kind of a win-win that they have at least two options for either position you make a really good point about judging the Mike Hughes draft pick short-term long-term Long-term, he might become a great cornerback that you love having on your team and is supremely valuable. Well, short-term, he may not win the slot job or struggle in the slot, and your offensive line never quite figures out who is supposed to be the right guard. And then you would say, well, for 2018 purposes, this didn't work out very well, but for 2020 purposes, this worked out great because the guy's a shutdown corner. And that will be interesting to follow along for, for how we feel about that. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of another, the last thing that I had on on my list for things that I took away from OTAs, another draft pick that we're going to be analyzing along the way is Daniel Carlson, the kicker, who uh, yesterday was money and Kai Forbath missed one. Make of that what you will. There's a a long way to go in the battle. Uh, It almost surprised me a little that Kai Forbath even showed up, and Mike Zimmer alluded to if one guy falls behind, and this could only really apply to Kai Forbath, if one guy falls behind, that he will be cut before the end of training camp. Meaning, if Kai Forbath falls behind, because if Daniel Carlson falls behind early in camp, they're going to give him all the time in the world since they drafted him. But if Forbath struggles early on, and maybe he just tanks it to try and find another job, I don't know. Um, he's got to be extremely frustrated with this. But, but at least at least yesterday, Carlson appeared to have the edge up on Kai Forbath for whatever that's worth. Yeah, and I mean, he's played on grass his whole life uh, as a collegiate kicker, so make of that what you will. Um, if I'm Kai Forbath, and he talked about it a little bit afterwards, you know, he put a pretty brave face on, to be honest with you, when he spoke with the media, saying, you know, you know, he was honest. This was kind of a, he didn't expect this to happen. You know, about a month after he re-signs on a one-year deal, no guaranteed money, they bring in a kicker, that's got to be a big blow. But I think he's going into this, kind of like he did last year um and you know 
thinking, okay, well, I can win this job. I'll be fine. But if I'm him, I would want to be released now, to be honest with you. Like, it just doesn't seem plausible that they that they trade up into the fifth round to draft a kicker, that that kicker is not going to be on the team, you know, in part because Forbet doesn't have any guaranteed money. They have really no reason to keep him around. I would want to be let go right now so I can be picked up by another team so I can not have to play this head game with myself, which, I mean, let's be honest, if you're a kicker, all you do is play head games or have to play them. Right. Um, I think that it's just, you know, that's that's what I would want because it just doesn't seem, even if he performs well, it just, and, and Zimmer said at the end of the day, they want somebody who makes the best kicks, you know, and makes the most. Uh, they're pretty comparable if you're looking at where Forbat made 87% of his kicks last year and, you know, it's kind of a slide down for Daniel Carlson from his season the year before. Um, what, what do they want? Do they want perfection? Because no kicker's going to have that. But I guess it's good to have a healthy battle there. But to me, if, I, if, if I'm four bath, I'm thinking about myself right now and thinking I should be trying to get with another team where I actually have a, a, a much more clear path to week one being the starting kicker. There's definitely a big difference between bringing in someone like Marshall Kane, who was from Iowa and hadn't played since his senior year and had a year in between where nobody signed him and was just a big leg guy. And Kane kicked pretty well, but it wasn't as good as Forbath and Forbath wins the job. I think as a kicker, you probably understand they're going to bring in some undrafted guy and you need to make sure that you do your job in camp. But to draft someone really says we want you gone. And for him, somebody who's made 87% of their kicks over the last two years as a Viking, including a huge playoff kick of over 50 yards, he would get a job, I think. I mean, someone else would bring him in pretty quickly, and he would very likely win, win that gig. Um, with his recent history, there's got to be other teams that are struggling yeah. to find a kicker. I mean – Last year, the Seahawks signed Blair Walsh. I mean, I <laughs> that can't, was exactly can't where my head was that. going. I can't still, believe someone signed Blair Walsh. And I'm still thinking about that game. Uh, who are they playing? That Sunday night game. Atlanta. In, in right? at, when, no, we were in Atlanta. Um, I was in Atlanta well, that night. Washington. He missed three of Washington. And then I thought it was Atlanta where he came up short on one that was really makeable. Whoever the Seahawks were playing that first week of December when the Vikings were in Atlanta, I remember I got back to my hotel room. I think, was it the Steelers maybe? Um, he had a terrible year. And he, the- <laughs> he missed the game-winning field goal. And yes. I just remember, oh, my God. This is, I mean, the Vikings fans were probably really excited that, you know, you shut down a prolific offense with Matt Ryan. But you're also pretty excited that your Sunday ends with Blair Walsh missing a game winner. Yeah, it's just uh, so that tells you a little bit about how many reliable kickers there are that someone would decide to sign Blair Walsh after he had gone completely in the tank after the uh, famous 27 yard miss. And that would say to me that even though Forbath struggled a bit with those extra points, that someone else would bring him in right away. Um, but if they're going to battle it out, then that will be something worth watching on a daily basis for who wins that job. Did you have anything else from the organized team activities that you wanted to discuss? Nothing in particular. I mean, it's still pretty early. I think hearing from John Filippo for the first time was good because that, that literally is the first time we've heard from him in a football setting outside of the, you know, even his I you know, the February was when he was hired. That was the last time that we heard from him. Taller than kinda, he looks in the pictures. 
Looks like, oh. a, looks like a shorter guy in the pictures. Not a shorter guy. Um, he, I think he's 6'4". He played quarterback at JMU. 6'4", is he really? Wow. I, th- I mean, I'm eyeball testing that using my, you know, measurable tactics as an ex-recruiting reporter. He used to have to basically guess kids' height and weight to make sure <laughs> they weren't lying about, uh, you know, adding a few inches on there. Anyways, um, you know, get, this thing that he said about Cleveland um, to a question you asked him about whether his Super Bowl experience helped prepare him for this job, and he said, you know, yeah, it helped, but being on a team where you had to manufacture yards uh, and, you know, a situation that was really pretty bleak. Uh, you know, he goes in there to Cleveland in 2015 after he was with the Raiders and takes over an offense that did not have a lot of weapons and you had, you know, two guys battling out for the quarterback job between Josh McCown and uh, Johnny Manziel and, you know, you're building him that at that time, 2015. I mean, I remember training camp that year. Everybody's expecting that Johnny's going to continue. You know, he'll be the starter. So you're installing an offense around a guy who doesn't really know a lot about protections, kind of comes from that um, taboo a lot in the NFL world. But the, the Texas A&Ms, the Houston, the, the Texas Techs, like those type of passing, um, you know, really high spread offenses that, you know, you just don't know how prepared these quarterbacks are when they see the NFL. Um, he walked into a much better situation here and seeing how he said at least that Cleveland prepared him for where he's at right now. Um, I'll be very curious to see what he does differently this time around. I imagine John Filippo showing up on the practice field and watching Diggs and Thielen run routes and watching Kirk Cousins throw the ball. And it's not that he hasn't seen good quarterbacks before because he just had Carson Wentz last year, but considering what he had in Cleveland for skill players, for a quarterback, he goes from one that doesn't show up to practice to one who is obsessive about the game and, and being great in Kirk Cousins. And uh, we've seen, heard that from every coach that's worked with Kirk Cousins about how dedicated he is uh, to maximizing his talent. And that does not describe the previous quarterback that John Filippo had, nor uh, anywhere close with the route running ability and, and sure. the ability to use those guys like a chess piece and things like that. So um, I, I thought it was notable, too, that he went right to, yeah, last time I was an offensive coordinator, I didn't have this type of talent. Um, yeah, and, I mean, he even said, like, you know, when talking about when he's talking about Cousins, you know, it's a guy that um, – I'm reading the quotes right now. He's, he's been in the building, studying at home, using his iPad, maximizing all of his time here, maximizing every second that's allowed by the CBA. He's that, that to me is a, Hey, I haven't had a guy like this. Like you said, with Manziel and not showing up and kind of when people didn't know where he was, I mean, this has to be a complete breath of fresh air for him, uh, for Filippo and taking a look at his comments about Stefan Diggs that the tape does not do his route running justice. When he used the word, I was shocked seeing how well he runs, um, you know, he's still learning about his guys and, and just all of the, the skill sets that are in that toolbox, which he's going to get to uncover over the next few months. And I can't wait till we get to hear what, he, what his plan's going to be for Kyle Rudolph and Tyler Conklin um, to see, because that was his, you know, his leading receiver was Gary Barnage in, um, in Cleveland. And he manufactured a lot of yards out of his tight ends. Now, and you know, that should be something that we should expect to see a lot of here. 
All right, so we will be back out at OTAs next Wednesday, and we will have a subsequent podcast in between. Feel free to continue to send your questions. We'll have uh, maybe some more episodes between now and then as we look forward and then go out there and and see what happens for our our second trip to OTAs. There will be three total, three weeks of OTAs, so plenty of time to ask your questions and things like that, email, tweet, whatever way you want to do it. And as always, we appreciate you listening to the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.